Good evening, Gothamites. Tonight your easy ride-in with me, Jack Ryder. I hope you're having a relaxing evening. Maybe you're on a long car ride home, or just relaxing with your second glass of red wine. I know it's been a tough one out there, but tonight my voice is here to soothe you. Tonight's show is on a topic we're all familiar with. Love and longing. We all have loved something or someone that may have been just out of our reach, be it from a distance or some other obstacle. Looks like our first caller seems to know what we're talking about. Hello, Jack. Thank you for having me on. Please refer to me as Chill. I cannot reveal my name for legal reasons. I understand. Some hearts need anonymity. Do you want to tell us your story, Chill? My wife, Nora, was, is, everything to me. She was the one who made my life worth living. Everything I have done was for her, and always will be for her. She got sick. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that from you. But I couldn't allow her to fall victim to it, so I had to freeze her. I had an accident that created a need for me to be eternally cold, inside and out. I entered my own deep freeze. My love was put on ice until one day I could find a cure for her. Well, you know, sometimes we need to give our hearts time to thaw for the ones we love, and give their hearts time to do the same. No, you simpleton. I used my PhD in cryogenetic science to freeze her body and stop the acceleration of a rare disease that was killing her. Wait, you actually froze her? Like she was a human popsicle? Yes. I can never love again until my Nora is back in my arms. I just wanted to dedicate a song to my love. Even with the strange circumstances of all this, your story does warm my heart. She remains your power, your pleasure, and your pain. Let's put on a song for our chilly friend. Here's Kiss from a Rose by Seal. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA's Animated Discussions. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, we're cranking up the AC and bathing in ice cubes because we're talking about Mr. Freeze. We're focusing on three classic Freeze episodes of three different Batman cartoons and one comic, all of which you can check out right now on DC Universe. Which does not sponsor our show. Uh, we are just saying you can watch them there. But also... Please sponsor our show. That's not specifically directed at DC Universe. Uh, Matt, dig me out of this hole, please. <laughs> sure thing, buddy. And to help us, we've got a big Victor Freeze fan. You know him from the Super Sons podcast and his previous experiences on WMQ&A. It's Dan McMahon. Welcome back, Dan. Hey, thanks for breaking the ice for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All night with this. Uh... <laughs> Any chance. Uh, now, before we get too deep down the freeze hole, uh, Matt and I do have one bit of business uh, we need to let you all know about, if you hadn't already heard. We're moving. Yes, uh, WMQ Comics is joining the Xavier Files Media Empire. 
starting July 1st, so the, the week that this goes live, uh, you'll be able to find all our usual shenanigans uh, over at XavierFiles.com. We're bringing WMQ&A. We're bringing bonus reading. We're bringing Why Will. We're bringing our Sunday editorials. Uh, we're bringing all our coverage of indie comics and, and pairing it with an established brand known for its amazing X-Men coverage, Marvel coverage, and, and the uh, Battle of the Atom podcast. It's going to be great, guys. Uh, we're all real excited, and we hope you are too. Uh, now, Dan McMahon, I have to keep that clear because there's two of you. I'm outnumbered tonight. Um, <laughs> you requested a Mr. Freeze animated discussion. Why I Freeze? Did. So, <laughs> why Freeze is a really good question. Um, I Honestly, he's shot up to the top of my favorites list. I want to say within the past two years. Um, and I actually have an origin. It's, it's the worst origin story ever of why I became obsessed with Mr. Freeze. So, one night I was on Mondo.com looking at like all the stuff they had <clears throat> at the time. And they had this really cool uh, Mr. Freeze action figure. And I was like, oh, Jake, my brother, should I get this? And he goes, Dan, you don't even really like Mr. Freeze. Why would you buy a $150, statu- uh, $150 action figure? <laughs> and from that day on, I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to go rewatch some Mr. Freeze stuff. And I have been absolutely obsessed ever since. I think his episode is the, I actually the perfect animated anything. One of the greatest episodes, period, of any cartoon. We're talking the episode of Batman the Animated Series. Yes. Okay. Uh, Heart of Ice. We'll get to it, but I don't think you're going to get any argument from either of us <laughs> that, that yeah, no. falls in top five <laughs> Batman the Animated Series episodes. I think in everyone's list. Oh, yeah. Um, it is probably worth mentioning uh, that we're recording this the day that the news broke that Joel Schumacher died, uh, who, of course, directed Batman and Robin, which, of course, uh, starred Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Uh, so that puts a little damper on any plans I had to make fun of uh, Batman and Robin tonight. But uh, that's probably for the best. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great movie. It's a great film. We, we, we will get to, to that as well. <laughs> that argument. We will get to further discussions of Batman and Robin by the end of this podcast. <laughs> no doubt. We, we will not speak ill of the dead tonight. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, you know, the last uh, two times we did the animated discussions, because we've done them twice, uh, we picked a, a feature-length DC movie and dove into it. This time, we're doing something a little bit different. We're stringing three episodes of classic DC Animated Universe shows together for one arc, plus a bonus comic in the middle that we'll talk about uh, a bit. Uh, We'll be following Victor Freeze, better known as Mr. Freeze, from his first appearance to chronologically his last. Uh, The first episode is the aforementioned Heart of Ice, which, while in the production run of the series was episode 14, was the first episode aired in the series' regular weekdays at 4 time slot. The episode is written by uh, Paul Dini and directed by Bruce Timm. What happens in this one, Matt? Um, You want the long version or the short? Uh, Let's try short. Victor Freeze uh, does crime because he loves his wife very much. Ooh, crimes of passion. Do go on. The episode opens on a monologue over a snow globe of a ballerina, which is a hugely artsy choice for your Monday at 4 p.m. cartoon. 
Uh, a mysterious new criminal is stealing high-tech components from Gothcourt. Batman figures out that the components would assemble to form a giant freeze cannon and that there is one part missing and only one Gothcourt facility makes it. Batman arrives right on the heels of Mr. Freeze and his crew. And while he puts in a good showing, Batman has to let Freeze go so he can save one of Freeze's goons who gets caught in the crossfire of Freeze's ice gun. Bruce Wayne goes to meet with Ferris Boyle, head of Gothcorp, to try to subtly get some information from him. And Boyle, who we saw earlier on the news as this benevolent billionaire, is, in fact, a giant ass who cares more about the bottom line than people. So, basically a billionaire. Uh, he mentions that the only person who could hate Gothcorp was Victor Freeze, a scientist he fired, but Freeze is dead, then ushers Bruce out so he can talk to the committee that is giving Boyle a Humanitarian of the Year award. Bruce researches Victor Freeze and decides he needs to break into Gothcorp for more info, but he has caught a cold, and Alfred gives him a thermos of chicken soup, the only way to fight a cold. Bruce sneaks into Gothcourt in disguise, where he finds a videotape of Boyle interrupting the cryogenic experiment Freeze was performing to save his dying wife. The experimental cryogenic chemicals explode all over Freeze, and Boyle and his guards abandon the scientists to seemingly die. As the video ends, Freeze arrives and blasts Batman. Batman awakens, uh, iced up and upside down in Freeze's lair. Freeze, Freeze leaves to exact his revenge on Boyle, and Batman, naturally, because he's, you know, Batman breaks out and heads off to stop him. There's a scuffle outside as Freeze ices over the Gothcorp building and heads in to confront Boyle at his Humanitarian of the Year award ceremony. Batman stops Freeze from killing Boyle by smashing the thermos of hot chicken soup on Freeze's helmet and cracking it. Batman hands the video evidence of what Boyle did to Gotham reporter Summer Gleason before dropping a good night, Humanitarian, on Boyle and carting Freeze off to Arkham. The episode ends with Freeze in Arkham, again looking at the snow globe, waxing on sadly about his lost love as Batman watches from outside. <sighs> so good, you guys. Um, yeah, what have we got next? Next, we're reading White Christmas, a short story from the 1994 Batman Adventures holiday special. What happens in this one? Mr. Freeze makes it snow on Christmas. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We're supposed to do the, the, the short version, long version thing. It's a short ver it's a short story, Dan. There really isn't a long version. Our format is crumbling <laughs> This story is again written by Paul Dini, with art by Glenn Murakami. An unseasonably warm Christmas Eve in Gotham. Mr. Freeze, usually the most sedate inmate at Arkham, has broken out and started a blizzard. As Batman heads the track down Freeze, he saves a woman and her daughter from a reckless driver. He finds Freeze in Gotham Cemetery and has to spend more time saving a policeman in an iced-over car as the snow continues to pile up. In the cemetery, Batman confronts Freeze, who's wielding a giant cold cannon. Because this is a Batman comic, Batman is knocked into a headstone of his parents and comes back at Freeze even harder. When Freeze is finally down, Batman looms over him and gives him a chance to explain himself. Freeze points at Nora's headstone and says... We were married ten years ago on a snowy Christmas Eve. Nora loved the snow. I thought it sad there would be none this year, and I wouldn't want my Nora to be sad tonight. The final panel shows Batman leading Freeze away with a hand on his shoulder. Whew. Goosebumps. All right, what's next? Next we have Cold Comfort from the new Batman Adventures. 
And what happens in this one? Short version or long version? <sighs> I can breathe again. Shorty, please. <laughs> Mr. Freeze is bummed out that he's just a head in a jar with spider legs and goes on a depression-based crime wave. Stop. You had me at head in a jar with spider legs. <laughs> uh, this one is written by Hilary J. Bader and directed by Dan Reba. At a Gotham museum, Mr. Freeze has returned and destroyed a recently completed dinosaur skeleton simply to see the scientist who reassembled it crushed. At the Gotham Tricentennial Celebration, Freeze again pops up, this time destroying the painting that was commissioned to celebrate the event, a huge painting the artist will not be able to duplicate. Batman arrives on the scene, stopping Freeze from killing a woman's dog. Batman and Freeze fight, along with Freeze's new gang of beparked female henchwomen, and... Sorry, I'm going to roll back because female henchwomen is redundant. Um, <laughs> Batman arrives on the scene, stopping Freeze from killing a woman's dog. Batman and Freeze fight, along with Freeze's new gang of parked henchwomen, and Freeze escapes after icing Batman's cape to the floor and leaving one of the women behind, partially frozen. At the Batcave, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl look into Freeze's history and find that after Nora was revived during the events of Batman, Mr. Freeze, Sub-Zero, Freeze never came to see her. At Freeze's new headquarters, we see doctors examining him as Freeze decides on his next target, Bruce Wayne. At stately Wayne Manor, Alfred opens the door to find Mr. Freeze and his gang outside. They come in to find Bruce and Tim Drake inside. Uh, Freeze decides to make Bruce suffer by freezing Alfred as Batgirl, who had been training in the Batcave, comes bat upstairs and intervenes. She is able to get a tracker on Freeze's van. Batman and Batgirl leave Robin behind to watch. Alf, uh, Alfred is unfrozen in a chemical bath uh, and arrives at Freeze's base. Uh, they find what they think is a spare suit and the doctors that have been working on Freeze. Then they see Freeze, and the reason for all of this is revealed. He is now just a head in a jar on spider legs. His body deteriorated, and only his head, now immortal and doing a Futurama bit, has been saved. <laughs> Freeze tells Batman that his final bit of revenge will be to use a reverse fusion bomb oh so very Kirby in its naming to freeze all of Gotham solid and leave Batman alive to watch while Batgirl fights with Freeze's gang Batman grapples onto the helicopter Freeze is carrying the bomb on they fight and Batman is able to get the copter over Gotham Bay he secures Freeze to the bomb and escapes the copter as the bomb crashes into the bay exploding Batman radios Batgirl to say that Freeze has met his end the final camera pan shows Freeze's armor frozen in a glacier, created by the explosion. But his head is gone. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and what is our final Freeze pop of the evening? Uh, we've got Meltdown from Batman Beyond. Short version, please, my dearest Matthew. Mr. Freeze is revived in the future in a new body that makes him look like Michael Berman from The Hills Have Eyes and is a very good dude for, like... Five seconds. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. At the docks in Gotham, the Batman of the future, Terry McGinnis, stops a group of anti-radiation suit-wearing guys from dumping nuclear waste. He takes the phone from the group's leader and dials the man behind this, Derek Powers, the corporate raider who bought majority shareholder status of Wayne Enterprises out from under Bruce Wayne, responsible for the death of Terry's dad, and is secretly a radioactive skeleton man. Powers gets angry, and his fake skin begins to burn off. He's brought to his doctors, and rages at them. His radioactivity is growing, and the skin 
that he's wearing to hide his condition can't take it. But a new doctor makes a suggestion. Dr. Stephanie Lake believes they can clone his original body and upload his mind into it, but they need to test it first on someone else with systematically damaged DNA. And that person? The disembodied head of Mr. Freeze. The process does work, and a once again normal Victor Freeze makes his return to Gotham. Bruce Wayne doesn't trust him and has Terry follow him, but it seems Bruce's paranoia is for nothing. When one of his old victims, who lost his family to Mr. Freeze, attacks, Batman saves Freeze, but Freeze asks Batman to let the man go, as he has suffered enough. Unfortunately, this happy ending is not the last, as Victor's condition begins to return, and Dr. Lake decides the best way to determine why her process failed is to vivisect him. Freeze escapes and disappears into Gotham. Batman is told by Bruce to wait at Wayne Powers for Freeze to come back for revenge on Lake and Powers. Terry doesn't think Freeze will show, but he is wrong. Freeze does indeed attack in upgraded armor, freezing both Powers and his former doctor in blocks of ice. Batman finds Freeze in the control room of the complex's main generator. Freeze plans to overload the generator, taking his own life along with the complex. Batman pleads with him to stop, but they are interrupted by Powers, who's burned his way out of his icy prison and is in full skeleton mode and calling himself Blight. There's a free-for-all battle, and while Freeze eventually knocks Blight out of the building, the radiation has injured Freeze too badly. He puts up a wall of ice to stop Batman from trying to save him and perish along with him, and the building explodes, ending Freeze's life. In the end, Bruce and Terry talk about Freeze, and Terry says that Bruce was right. But Bruce disagrees, saying that in the end, they were both right. So, Dan, we've yammered on a bunch uh, just now. Uh, what did you think of all these uh, cartoons slash... Uh, yeah, what did you think of all these uh, picks? So, before we get into the rest of them, I just want to bring up another episode. Um, Please. That was in... Uh, it was the 84th episode. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly where it was, but it's Deep Freeze. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the entire plot of this episode... Oh, it's the 10th episode of the third season. The entire plot of this episode is that Mr. Freeze gets kidnapped from Arkham. He's taken to an island outside of Gotham City where a man named... some Walker... Sorry, I have to pull it up. His Texas name is Ranger. Grant Walker... Um, <laughs> And everything about him is Walt Disney. He's trying to get Mr. Freeze to help him build a, like, utopia. In reality, it's just Epcot. Um, Epcot's great. Yeah, he's trying to get Mr. Freeze to help him build Epcot and cryogenically freeze him. As I'm watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, Walt did freeze himself, quote unquote. (laughs) Um, And I'm sitting here watching this episode, and I was like, wow, this is really just a Walt Disney kidnaps Mr. Freeze and is a heartless bastard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean it's not far off from the real man but um, yeah the, what, there's one line like nobody can stand in his way and all I could think of is the Mary Poppins story where the woman who wrote it cried in the theater the entire time yeah <laughs> good old Walt <laughs> yeah. he eventually pops up in the again in the tie-in comics at mm-hmm. one point or another too I, I, I don't as remember a, much as Mr. Freeze he like yeah his... yeah and it also that fe- that episode features uh, the the Batmite cameo, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And Batmite, yeah, he's a little robot. Mister Mixaplick, Streaky the Super Cat, and Crypto are there as well. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of thoughts 
of this kind of quote unquote arc mm-hmm. of Mr. Freeze across the series. Um, I So I've got a lot of thoughts and feelings about Mr. Freeze, but I think he works best without being a reoccurring villain. And the reason for that is because of his motivation. His motivation isn't to make money. His motivation isn't to hurt people. His motivation is to save the person he loves. Mm-hmm. Like his entire mythos is all he wants to do is save Nora. So having him reappear is kind of like, eh. But these kind of, the first one I say would deal with like his love and compassion and stuff like that. But as he progresses through these three episodes, you see him sort of lose it. Um, it seems like he's kind of disillusioned with humanity once he's literally destroying things to hurt people. He destroys that, the dinosaur. He mm-hmm. destroys a, um, like a workless, like a re- irreplaceable piece of art. It's him just destroying things that bring people happiness and hope because he doesn't have any. Because this is after Nora came back and left him and so he was left alone um so and he like because of what happened to him he could never return to the victor freeze he was before and i think that whole arc is heartbreaking and then you bring him back in batman beyond which kind of like feels like the two-faced story from the dark knight returns where he comes like he gets quote-unquote healed but the damage is already done like he's never going to be able to feel whole again because of mm-hmm. the damage he's done to himself and he's done to other people I um watching watching these this past week of the three I feel like cold comfort did the least for me uh you know seeing it as part of a larger arc I think I get it a little bit more but in that one specifically he's just kind of acting like a petty dick Whereas in Heart of Ice, you know, which I didn't even really write notes for that one. I just wrote a goddamn classic. (laughs) It good. Yeah, it it good. Exactly. But with Cold Comfort, like, yeah, he's just going around fucking up other people's shit for no personal gain. Just because he's, you know, miserable because his, you know, wife dumped him in a feature that we didn't watch for this because it wasn't on DC uh, Universe. But... It happens off-panel. It doesn't even happen in that movie. Oh, that makes it worse. You, you never <laughs> see him and Nora together. They do eventually, again, do something with that in an issue of Gotham Adventures. The, the, the tie-in comics for Batman the Animated Series were all top-notch. Uh, and a lot of them filled in a bunch of like weird gaps uh, that's one of them. There's a great Two-Face story about Harvey Dent's background, more about his youth. There's, um, I'm trying to think other ones from that. That particular run that was Gotham Adventures mm-hmm. dealt with a lot of that, the, the kind of in-between episodes stuff from these later episodes, while the original Batman Adventures run were all standalone sort of completely removed stories. Mm-hmm. And then the final second ad- volume of Batman Adventures was unfortunately cut really short. And so Dan Slott, who was writing it, never got to wrap up the Red Hood story that he started there that I, I don't think 
Deanie and Burnett are going to come back to in the Batman adventure, the Batman adventures continue that they're doing now. That's kind of a shame. Apparently. I think Red Hood is in that because they release the toy tie in in the Bruce Tim style. I don't know how much it'll tie in with the comics, but I think he's kind of like there in the first issue, but like a shadow watching them. Yeah, no, I mean, this was like old school classic Joker Red Hood with the the, oh. the dome. Like that Red Hood was popping up. And apparently there had been plans to introduce Derek Powers' grandfather or father in those comics. And the series was axed before it started because they didn't want to be running both a classic animated series style series and uh, the Batman style mm-hmm comic at the same time uh, I do want to say Heart of Ice does feature the first appearance of the animated Batman's trademark move the uh, fist up hitting the guy coming up behind him that he does <laughs> all the time that they actually called out in one of the ads for the CW or back then the WB when the series first started airing uh, where they addressed it as the sucker punch the guy behind you. <laughs> and it was one of these things where after they called it out on that commercial, I was like, damn, he does do that a lot in these cartoons. Um, it, this origin for Mr. Freeze is also from the episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... It's crazy to me that the... Like, one of the biggest character bits that everyone knows and then later was pulled into a movie. I mean, besides Harley Quinn was from this cartoon. Like, yeah. Freeze had a very nebulous and sort of lame origin. He was criminal scientist accidentally exposed to chemicals. That was it. There really wasn't an origin. It was like a, a word bubble to explain why this guy was always in that suit. That was it. Did he look like this in the comics before that point? No. Before this... I mean, in the '60s, the yellow and pink. Yeah, he had. Well, that was the. Yeah, he had that. Then he had armor like he did in Batman '66. This sort of silver space suity cosmonaut kind of deal. And then he got new armor designed when he appeared in the Super Friends. This red, blue, and white thing that he wore in the comics for one or two appearances before he was fairly unceremoniously killed by the Joker. All right, story about that particular outfit. So I, when my son Logan was little, we bought him these like DC board books that teach you about like shapes and opposites and colors and, and, and stuff like that. And so, and most of it I think is old, like Jose Luis Gar- Garcia Lopez art, you know, it, or it's very, you know, close to it. Cause he was kind of like the DC house style of like the late seventies and early eighties. And so there's one page of Mr. Freeze in that red, white, and blue feels weird saying that as a color scheme for him, but, uh, <laughs> outfit. And it just says, you know, Mr. Freeze likes things cold. Uh, and that outfit just looks like Lex Luthor's like green and purple power suit, just palette swapped. It's just yeah. another ball guy in, in, in an exoskeleton, basically. Yeah, they kind of they slapped the helmet on him, and that was it was very similar to that. Because I mean, 
this was the superpowers action figure line. So if they could sort of repurpose a Lex Luthor action figure, make his skin blue and add a few details to the armor and a helmet. Sure. They're going to do that. This was eighties action figures. There is in, um, if you remember the 40 year old virgin, the, the one scene for some reason that, I always go back to, and it's not like one of the ones from the trailer where they're ripping off his chest hair and he's yelling about Kelly Clarkson. It's, it's like, there's a montage of you just like, you watch him in his home and he has all these like a million hobbies. And at one point he's got all these like little miniature figures and he's just over one of those like magnifying lamps. And he said, he says, and now I'm going to paint your silver pants blue. Like that's the line that I lose it at well <laughs> uh, in that movie, but uh, like that's what mis- that that particular Mister Freeze costume reminds me of. <laughs> you know, talk, talking about Freeze's is you know armor and look over the years. You know, just the fact that like this Mike Mignola design uh, that he he created for the show is is what we talk about when we talk about Mister Freeze, and has been kind of like the lasting you know, platonic ideal of freeze. Um, looking, looking at meltdown. If you saw the way his armor was animated there and, uh, the head, when you first see it, it's, it's even more Mignola than in, uh, in heart of ice or when he was originally introduced, because, you know, you keep seeing him in these hard shadows or, you know, they fog up the, the helmet in a way that it just accentuates the, the two red eyes. Like, that, to me, was, you know, a, a, like a hardcore homage to, you know, the guy that made Mr. Freeze an actual sympathetic, viable character in the DC universe. Oh, oh definitely. There's, there is a, um, a Hellboy villain, uh, Herman von Klempt, who's a, a Nazi severed head in a jar and <laughs> who, who has an army of uh, cybernetically enhanced apes, his Kriegaffe, war apes in German. And yeah, there's definitely a von Klempt vibe, especially in that first scene where you see Freeze's head in Meltdown. Yeah. So I had no idea that Mike Mignola did Mr. Freeze's design until this very moment. It's always been something like oh he kind of looks like a Mignola character but now he I realize that he is it's crazy it's crazy right mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything everything in my head it all just like clicked into place yeah I think I only learned that when I started getting my uh, sketchbook of mm-hmm. Batman characters done and I someone did Mr. Freeze and I commented about and of course I said you know of course you did the Paul Dini uh, the Paul, excuse me the Bruce Tim design armor and he's like no it's actually it's Mignola I'm like what he's like yeah Mignola designed that armor and I was like oh that makes so much sense yeah uh, wow hmm um, yeah, Mignola's crazy. Like when you think about, like he was like a fill-in artist once Liefeld stopped hitting deadlines on X Force, and like if he had never gone on to like Hellboy or anything, like you would just know him from like doing a couple of covers and and you know a couple of issues at X Force. But no, like that's the guy who went on to do like Hellboy and is one of the. It's I don't know. It's just crazy. <laughs> that's that is absolutely wild to me. I mean, it's you see, you see, his earliest works are all so 
random the uh, the Rocket Raccoon miniseries with Bill Mantlo, uh, Cosmic Odyssey with Jim Starlin, which is that's the most Mignola of those early works. But then he jumps, he does Hellboy, and he does one issue of Legends of the Dark Knight, Sanctum, with Dan Raspler. That's a really creepy Batman and the Occult one-off. But, it, you know, he's one of those guys that nowadays everybody's like, oh yeah, Mike Mignola, Hellboy. And he's been doing Hellboy for pushing 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. But his he had a career before that, and it's mostly weird, random stuff. Also, he pulled that Jay-Z, I'm a retire, but not really thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Hellboy. I'm done with Hellboy, except for, you know, all the tie-ins. Although that, that one he was supposed to release with the Adam Hughes art that was due out in February still hasn't hit. I was really looking forward to Adam <laughs> Hughes Hellboy. Yeah. yeah, I just realized that um, the Three Jokers hasn't come out yet. Yeah. It got delayed again. I'm just like, man, I really just hope it keeps getting <laughs> it's pushed over the mountain. Push it back. Push it it's... back. Way back. <laughs> way. Keep, keep it in the vault. Just keep it in there. It'll come out the same time Generations does. <laughs> uh, I think they canceled that. Oh, yeah. That's... It's not in the, the completely off topic. Back to Mr. Freeze in the future. Yes. Hey, yeah. hey, um, hey. Tangents are welcome. Always. Yes. We love a good tangent. Once yeah, but uh, he, yeah, Mr. Freeze's Richard Nixon head in the future, yes. <laughs> once he gets out of... So once he escapes from the facility, like wherever he's being kept, when he beats everyone and gets outside and the police are shooting at him, he builds like a ice pyramid around them. Mm-hmm. And then when the cops try to drive a car at him, he freezes that. So he's not trying to kill anyone. He's like actively going out of his way not to kill them. Because he could have just froze all of them and just been done with it mm-hmm. but i don't i also don't understand the physics of him shooting a beam straight and then like bilateral like the triangle comes up but i'm not gonna it's the future you can make triangles out of ice yeah yeah hey you know what a lot of that stuff in batman beyond at this point we really have to hand wave as yeah this is what we thought the future was going to be like in 1999 Wait, well, so no yeah, lots, lots, lots of techno, lots of fashion that still looks like it's the '90s. Guys with those forehead drapes, haircuts that I also had. Uh, you know, uh, a main antagonist who looks like John O'Hurley from Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, Derek Powers, you are the worst. <laughs> like, seriously, he looks like Elaine's boss. He does. He does. Oh, yeah, yeah no, the guy no who created one. the urban sombrero. <laughs> Jay Peterman. He, that, that was his name. I I was just gonna keep saying things he did until, <laughs> until somebody one of us got it. Yeah, the guy who hosts the National Dog Show. <laughs> yes, he does. He briefly hosted Family Feud. I'm sure he has a name. <laughs> but he's, he's done a uh, he's done quite a bit of voice work, I believe, over the years too. With that voice, you kind of. Yeah. Well, he's also the voice of all. Do you remember in like the early to mid two thousands, there were like a whole bunch of radio stations that basically that switched to formats to basically iPod Shuffle. Yes, and they were all named like Jack or Ben or yes. Steve. Yeah, he's Jack the voice FM? of those stations. Yes, I remember Ben FM down he in was. Princeton. Yeah. yeah, Ben FM was it ninety ninety five point seven? Yes, yes, it was. Ben Slaying FM. anything we feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just Which a bunch was of Jersey Boys? <laughs> yeah, and by what they feel like, really meant 
a, a mix of classic rock and whatever was in the top 100 at that time. It was exactly. not. It's just another 80s, 90s, and today station. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But the, they wanted to make it seem edgier. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like easy listening because, like, didn't Delilah come on at like 10 o'clock? Oh, I think you're right. You know, Delilah. Oh, okay, see, Del- where I am, Delilah's on the Light Rock station. <laughs> Wait, she's still on? Yes. Good for her. <laughs> no, D- Delilah will, will, will never die. She That's will... an empire. Damn right. She's, she's been doing that for a long time. I'm going to see if she'll absorb me and me and Jake's show. <laughs> yes. If you guys are going to Xavier Files, I'm going to go to Delilah. Yeah. Easy, <laughs> easy listening comic talk with the McMahon. So, 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 Jake, before we get into uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, we got a letter from uh, her name is Stephanie. And, you know, her husband's overseas and she really misses him. And, you know, just hang in there. And uh, here's Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to our show. We have a listener tonight. His name is Victor Freeze. He wants to talk to us about his wife who's estranged from him. Yes. Oh, oh man. Oh, that might be my bit for the beginning of this episode. You, you go for it. <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> uh, so I... Um, and we've talked some cold comfort, we've talked some meltdown. Uh, I specifically wanted to bring in White Christmas... Because it is not only one of my favorite Mr. Freeze stories, but it is the only story from the Batman Adventures holiday special that was not adapted for the new Batman Adventures episode Holiday Nights. The rest of those stories were from that anthology, all written by Dini with art by different people involved in the show, Glenn Murkami, Bruce Timm. Um, this one didn't get adapted because it took place too early in the timeline. It's set in between Heart of Ice and Deep Freeze. And by the point that Holiday Nights was produced, it was after Sub-Zero. And so Freeze's look and everything else wouldn't have worked, uh, which is a damn shame because especially that ending, that just that's peak Freeze. That gets you right there. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I think that's why I love him so much be, because of like I'd rather see him as a standalone villain that just wants to be with the person he loves and will do anything to help her because um, to me grain of salt I don't think he's a villain I think he's someone who doesn't know how to handle what he's going through um, and he lashes out the way he's doing instead of you know maybe being like wait hold on Batman you seem super smart. Why don't we just work together on this and you could help me? Oh. Maybe because it's his burden type ordeal, but no, the definite, I mean, I, that's a no, I completely agree. Not a no, mm-hmm. you're wrong. <laughs> wrong. I mean, no, he is the, the Dini version of freeze is an incredibly sympathetic character. He is with the, depending on how he's portrayed, the possible exception of Harvey Dent, the most sympathetic of Batman's rogues. And frankly, is probably the most sympathetic because Dent is more often than not presented in a much more unbalanced way than Freeze is. Yeah. And yeah, Freeze is really just trying to fix what he feels it's caused by him. Which like sucks. Yeah. 
What episode? I'm looking for. So in the most recent, the Tom King run, um, I I guess it's it's been long enough to spoil issue fifty. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, the wet. Yes, the yeah, wedding didn't happen, guys. DC spoiled it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's oh, true. Man. The New York Times spoiled it. Uh, so, basically, Bobby was supposed to get married, and he got his heart broken. So the next story is um, a court case, essentially, of Batman, of Bruce Wayne putting Batman on trial because he really fucked up Mister Freeze like too too much, too much violence, um, and I thought. It, I don't know if it was a meta thing, but after having your heart broken and dealing with that pain, it was the perfect time to use Mister Freeze as a thematic character rather than a villain. Because in this, he doesn't—he doesn't really do crime. He's not like a villain running around shooting people with the ice beam. He's just on trial, and there—it's Batman dealing with his grief while juxtaposition to this character that we all know his entire his entire motivation is love. I thought that was super interesting. It was a, it's the perfect choice of villains because for mo- also because most of others Batman's other villains he you could have argued that, you know, these guys in most cases have it coming. Freeze is a sympathetic figure. You would feel bad for him where you wouldn't feel bad for a supposedly reformed oh Let's say Riddler, because you, everybody just wants to punch the Riddler in the I head. I just want to beat him. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Eddie, you're just yeah. the worst. And now that he's a mutton chops, oh, man, I want to <laughs> I want to yeah. give him a swirly so the, bad. The King-era Riddler looks, with, with the friggin' open button-down shirt, and looks like the, an asshole. Oh, the, <laughs> the, occasionally he wears the hat, and he's got the open shirt and the mutton chops. This guy looks like... A guy from the early aughts who has been inspired by what was that pickup artist asshole mystery? Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Wow. Yes. Yeah. He looks like <laughs> someone who has taken that guy's work as the Bible and now goes out to clubs and tries to pick up women. He, he is the worst. He Riddle looks like is. Banshee from the X Men is going through something. <laughs> Riddle of oh. this, you 80s want some green tea shots. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, Eddie. Oh, I want to beat the shit out of the Riddler. Oh, man. Yeah, no. Like, push him into a locker. <laughs> the, a, I firmly believe a properly written Batman has sympathy for all of his rogues gallery, except for the Joker, because he's unrepentantly vile. And penguin and riddler because those two aren't nuts and are completely self-aware in how terrible they are and continue to do it they don't have a psychosis to fall back on riddler's obsessed but he's completely aware of the terrible things he's doing and it's just like, you, just, you want to just slap him. It's, it's the Arkham games. It's just like every game, I just you get towards the end, it's like, I just need to get enough trophies so I can take out the Riddler because I just want to shut his smug mouth. And Knight, don't you get to then, once you collect everything, you just get to punch him until you're done? <laughs> yes. And Catwoman, <laughs> and then there's the, the DLC where Catwoman gets to hunt him down too. It's like, oh, because he's just, just, just the worst. I, do you... Do either of you watch the Harley Quinn show? Oh, yeah. 
I've so, I started it. Unfortunately, I'm not that deep in yet, but I do like the Riddler on that uh, predominantly because it's basically just Jim Rash doing the Riddler. <laughs> yes, I am the Dean, and my, my hands, hands are, are so clean. clean. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Riddle. Uh, I don't. Uh, you say I don't want to step on if you're going where I'm going. So you go first. No, I want to hear where you're going. I've got nothing else. So I'm not that creative. Riddle, Riddle, you. When, the, when just when they did that, it's like, oh my god, he's they're full on riffing on community. He's the dean. Oh, he is yeah. the dean. That makes me so friggin' happy that it's such an obvious community reference. I love it. No, Har- I mean, I did not think I would ever say this because Young Justice is one of my favorite cartoons of all time. And I think it's the new season was great, but I think pound for pound, looking forward to a new episode, I think I've looked forward to Harley episodes even more than the Young Justice ones. Because the Young Justice ones are great, but Harley is just like, it, it's such a character piece. And that the, the voice cast is just so delightful, good. wall to wall. Having Alfred Melania voice Mr. Freeze. So, Dan, I'm not going to ruin anything, but the Mr. Freeze episode mm-hmm. in that has so many, like, back references to Heart of Ice and, like, stuff like that. Basically, Harley just thinks he's a creep that has this poor woman in a block of ice. But then he explains to her what true love is. And <laughs> I, I did not expect that Friday coming home and watching the episode um, and tearing up because... It 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 was aimed at me. Um, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, they they get it. They get him absolutely right in that episode, and I'm. <laughs> he makes oh. great food too. Yes, he really does. It, it was a really solid. I mean, it's one of my favorite episodes of Harley Quinn, and the, there's so they, many good ones. There's so many good ones. They got Michael Ironside to come back as Dark Side. Oh, he's so... And then uh, Granny was in it. Yes! Mm. He only got a few lines, but it's freaking Jessica Walters. It's the, the world's yes. worst mother, whether she's on Arrested Development or Archer. She's I, always um, the world's worst mom. The other day, I, I, I had this thought stuck in my head of... Uh, or, uh, sorry, <clears throat> not Archer. Um, rest development where she's like, I love all of my children equally. I don't care for Job. <laughs> I got that. I had someone Photoshop it for me. It's like, I love all the DC Universe shows equally. And it's like, I don't care for Titans. <laughs> Everyone pound for pound has been incredible. Like, so unique in their own voices. Swamp Thing, Titan. I'm sorry. Never Titans. Titans is a, a hot garbage fire. Um <laughs> I described it the other day as an apple pie, but one side is still frozen and the other side is overbaked and burned. You can still stick your fingers in there and eat the like the apple pie filling, but it's it's trash. I, I you Doom Patrol takes place on a slightly different Separate Earth. Earth. Yeah. Okay, so I can start Doom Patrol without having finished Titans. I. Yeah, oh yeah. Have you not watched Doom Patrol? No, because I oh, can't man. get through Titans. All right, welcome to the Doom Patrol podcast because Doom Patrol is the Doom Patrol does so much more than any other any other 
superhero, anything, movie, television show. It talks about so much, um, and it kind of exemplifies, like, finding yourself, finding out who you are, and expressing that completely. And, oh, man, Alan Tudyk is... I got a lot. And it has Mark Shepard playing... basically John Constantine Mm -hmm. because that character was supposed to be Constantine in the comic and they wouldn't let Grant Morrison use him. So they, she just created it, slapped a new name on that character. And it's like, he's, he's, I I want Mark Shepard to play John Constantine because I love Mark Shepard and everything. We, um, we were watching, so Scarlett hasn't watched it. Um, and we're watching it the other night so she can catch up. So, because I told her, I love you, but, Thursday morning, I'm watching all three episodes of Doom Patrol if you're ready or not. But So we're watching, and she goes, that's Constantine. Like, there's no way that's not Constantine. And I hadn't, I didn't know who the character's name was, and I was like, I mean, he kind of seems like Constantine, but all magic people kind of want to be Constantine. I pulled it up, and she was right, and she goes, yeah. look at me, big star over here. Absolutely. She, she got <laughs> that it. one right on the nose. That, that's a... Oh, it, Grant, I love Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol, and th- I I know this is a show I'm going to have to watch with Amber because Alan Tudyk, Brendan Fraser, Matt Bomer, uh, Diana Guerrero, these are all actors that we love from various and sundry other things, and and Mark Shepard. It's like okay, I gotta just now that I'm sure I can start it without because I, I I thought it was because I knew that the Doom Patrol popped up in Titans. I thought it was an actual spin-out. So, and I only realized it, because I think they show them as separate Earths in at CW. the end of Crisis. Mm-hmm. Right, so I was like, oh, these are different Earths. And so I was kind of waiting for the second season of Doom Patrol, because I knew it was coming. It's like, alright, I'll kind of get that rolling, and then I'll be able to just sort of, you know, go right through the whole thing. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> if you take nothing away from our friendship, both of you, be it that you watch Doom Patrol because the Danny the Street episode, like, uh, it. There's a musical number. There's Carly Rae Jepsen. It's uh it's <laughs> Larry and Cyborg's story is a little bit different than his original origin, but he's so good in the show. I I will talk about Doom Patrol forever because there's never been a show where every single episode I felt like emotionally exhausted but extremely happy because they talked about so many things that no one else is um super special show it is high on my list of things to to check out right on right on um why don't we get into why don't we get into some voice work yes because there are there's some fascinating voice stuff in these um I mean, we'll start in, you know, the Matt's voice corner because I am an unabashed follower of voice actors. Um, I am right now reading Rob Paulson's autobiography, Voice Lessons, which is great if you're interested in, you know, stories about voice acting. Um, I mean, we're going to start with Michael Ansara's performance as Freeze. I mean, this was going to be this character would not have been as memorable, no matter how good the look in the story without that nuanced voice performance if he had been a little more cackling it wouldn't have worked if he'd been a little more flat it wouldn't have worked and apparently if you read talks with Bruce Tim Tim wanted him to play it even more flat and Ansara wanted to play it a little more broadly 
and they found that happy medium in between that just absolutely hits every note they wanted to get with that character. Um, and I, I have to mention that despite having a very long and storied career, um, one of the things Ansara is best known for is uh, performance as Kang, the Klingon captain from various Star Trek series um, that we have to, to mention, or uh, our third of Three Amigos, Rob Lynch, would never let me live that down. Um, so <laughs> got, just gotta, gotta throw the, the Star Trek love out there. <clears throat> um, mo- uh, the other, another important thing um, is the Heart of Ice is Mark Hamill's first appearance in the DCAU as uh, Freeze's shitty boss, Ferris Boyle. Um, he would go on to get the Joker gig kind of based on this. I mean, he was brought in to do this. He said he wanted to be one of the villains. And when Tim Curry, who was originally cast as Joker, didn't quite hit the mark, uh, he was replaced. They got Mark Hamill to do it. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. And we now have the definitive voice of the Joker, thanks to Mark Hamill's brief appearance as Ferris Boyle. Um, Wait, that's your definitive voice? It's not Jared Leto? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I have a list of definitive Jokers in my head. One of them is very near the top. The other is very near the bottom. Guess who? I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. (laughs) It's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> um, something cool as well. Freeze's three henchwomen in Cold Comfort are all amazing, multi-talented, amazing career voice actresses. Um, the three of them are Tress McNeil, uh, best known as Dot Warner from the Animaniacs, Mom from Futurama, and Agnes Skinner from The Simpsons. Uh, One of them is Lauren Tom, who is Gizmo and Jinx on Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, and Amy Wong on Futurama. And the third is Cree Summer, uh, the voice of uh, the witch Hagar on the recent Voltron, Catwoman on the current incarnation of DC Superhero Girls, and Penny on the original Inspector Gadget. And that's, like, barely scratching the surface of... The, the credits that these three actresses have and they were just Mr. Freeze's hench people in this episode. Which so you, shows... just blew, you just blew my mind for a second. I'm sorry. Uh, so Cree Summer was Penny on Inspector Gadget. Yes, it's her first credit. Okay, I was going to say, because the first time I became aware of Cree Summer was when she replaced Lisa Bonet on A Different World. So that means Homegirl's been around forever. Oh yeah, she That's gave amazing. A, yeah, she gave a great interview um on Rob Paulson's Talking Tunes podcast about this arc of her career and it's fascinating. But yeah, her first credit, her first professional acting gig was Penny. It, it's really uh, look up her IMDb folks. It will blow your mind. Yeah, no, no. She's definitely got goat status. That's that's awesome. I mean, and this just tells you that, you know, just what oomph Andrea Romano as a voice director carried that these three actresses, like, sure, we'll we'll work with you. We'll do, you know, each get like four lines because it would just be fun to do. Sure, Andrea, no problem. That's just, it's mind-blowing. And speaking of 
boy, I kind of, you've only got four lines. I mean, granted, she has a few more, but uh, Dr. Lake from Batman Beyond is voiced by uh, Linda Sarah Connor Hamilton, which is completely badass, but I wish she'd had more to do and more to say in that episode. What she does, she does really well, both playing sympathetically off Victor and then her little, well, the best way to do this would be to just examine his organs right now kind of thing. But it's like, boy, you got Linda Hamilton. I would have loved for her to have a little more meat on the bones of that role. Yeah, a couple, couple things on that character. It, it definitely seemed like, and granted, it's a 22-minute episode. You can only do so much. But, like, okay, so first of all, when they first introduce her and they're in the room with powers and he's, you know, his his glowing green skeleton is all exposed. And I guess that she was supposed to be reflected in the skeleton. I thought she literally had green hair and lips. I thought I was looking at Polaris from uh, from X-Men. <laughs> Uh, and so then when she turned out later to just be like a brunette, I was like, oh, but uh, it seemed like uh, like when they go to the, the, the graveyard uh, in that one scene, I thought it, it looked like they were hinting at like some sort of relation. You know, th- there could be some sort of budding relationship like, you know, uh, Victor had finally found his second wife or something. But, uh, you know, it just completely moves off of that. So uh yeah, um, in an, in another time, you know, maybe she would have gotten a little bit more uh, more to do, more agency, something like that. But I also, you know, getting back to, to Cole Comfort for a second, also, I didn't understand why Freeze had three women in, like, mini park addresses. Like, that just <laughs> seemed like, especially in his, like, state at the time, like, Yes, this is a thing that Batman villains do. This does not feel like a thing that Victor Freeze in in his current state where he is clearly dealing with some depression issues and could use some counseling uh, <laughs> would, would do. Well, you know, you go to the not casting agency. That's not the, the employment agency for, you know, hench people in Gotham. It's like, all right, right now we got uh, these three women we got the identical twins, but they're waiting for Two-Face. And we, we got Rhino. You know, Ventriloquist, he's up the up the river right now. So Rhino is free until Ventriloquist gets out. Who do you want? I'll take the ladies, please. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry, on that note, I'm trying to remember what it was called, but in Harley Quinn, they, they literally had a scene with the henchman service. Like the, it's kind of like the Uber of henchmen. They're like, oh, we can fix you up with this person or this person. Oh, yeah, I try to. I, I I remember what you're saying, and it's yeah. It was a it was a bit that was so good, but yeah, it, it felt sort of out of place for Mister Freeze. But that whole story kind of did because mm-hmm. I feel like he wouldn't be a let's destroy things that people love just to destroy things people love. I feel like he would just like kind of just walk away and go to like the North Pole and just give it up, which is. Right, it's what he did in Sub-Zero. I mean, it it does seem a somewhat out of character. It seems like they wanted to do a Mr. Freeze story, Mm. couldn't come up with anything that fit with the way the character had been presented, and instead just sort of took that one aspect, that sort of thirst for vengeance, 
and spun it into vengeance against the entire world, regardless of how best it would work for the character. Yeah. Um, kind of moving away from these particular episodes, but but sticking with the voice work. Something I learned today, just kind of, you know, doing doing my research on on, uh, on Freeze because I really knew nothing about him before Heart of Ice. Uh, apparently, so first of all, in the old Batman '66 live action Adam West show, he was played. He was on the show three times, played by three different actors. So he was like full Catwoman uh, on on that show. And there, and like a couple of them are really like major names. I didn't recognize I, any of them. Uh, Otto I mean, Otto Preminger and Eli Wallach. Are, I, George Sanders is a familiar name too. These are, you know, I'm a film buff, so these are guys who I recognize. Mm-hmm. But they're not, you know, none of them are Eartha Kitt, you know, who right. is sort of a, yeah. a big, well-known quantity outside of film circles. But in film circles, both Eli Wallach and Otto Preminger are fairly impressive names and George Sanders is one of those names that's tickling the back of my head and I just can't place mm. but yeah I mean it was another one of those well we'll just keep you know throwing darts until we, we hit <laughs> one that works which I guess isn't really the way it worked with Catwoman that was more about you know Julie Newmar was great but she couldn't do the movie so they got Lee Merriweather and then Julie Newmar had other things to do so they got Eartha Kitt that they weren't, you know, well, n- the previous ones didn't work. It was kind of like, it was more along the lines of the, uh, okay, we need to, we want to try something different with the Riddler this time. Let's get John Aston. Oh, oh, right. Everybody loves Frank Gorshin for a reason. <laughs> um, and then in the, let's see, where am I? Yeah, so uh, late 60s, uh, the Batman Superman Hour cartoon Freeze was voiced by Ted Knight from uh, the Mary Tyler Moore Show and Caddyshack. Now, I love me some Ted Knight, but I can't imagine, like, you know, Ted Knight's known for playing these sort of blowhard characters. You know, he was he was effectively Ron Burgundy before Ron Burgundy, right? I, I can't picture him sort of doing Mr. Freeze in the way that we know him, sort of, you know, dispassionately pining, pining for my beloved Nora! And, and yeah, I mean, that that's a bad attempt at that voice. You'll get nothing in like it. But, uh... <laughs> uh. And then, uh, times that Freeze has popped up in other animation, you've got uh, the Arkham games, where he's voiced by one of the great voice actors of all time, uh, Maurice LaMarche, who we met at Keystone a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, best known throughout all annals of time as the brain from pinky and the brain as well as many characters on futurama and the dude who uh did uh uh, digital voice replacement for uh the kingpin on uh ed wood because vincent d'onofrio couldn't get the voice right so they got maurice lamarche to go over all of d'onofrio's lines in ed wood I did not know that. Wow. Yep, it huh. is D'Onofrio's body and Maurice LaMarche's voice. That's, he also um, did Orsa, Orson Welles on The Critic. And everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, oh, and then also, I mean, we already talked about Alfred Molina on Harley Quinn. Uh, last one, though. Uh, the the one iteration of Batman that I, I, I cannot bring myself to be a fan of, uh, the Batman uh, cartoon from like the early 2000s. But Mr. Freeze is voiced by uh, the fucking man, Clancy Brown. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you, you can't argue. Clancy Brown is another of the, the great voice actors of our time, whether it's Lex Luthor or Mr. Krabs or <laughs> any number of other characters that he has voiced. You, you gotta love Clancy Brown. Oh, there it is. You said the Batman, and all I can get out get in my head was there was a CGI Batman show. What was it called? Beware the Beware Batman. The Batman. Yeah, it was a weird. You know, it, the the thing that was a shame about it is the beginning of the series was not very good, and the back the back half wasn't bad. But by that point, they'd given up on it, and so they burned those episodes in the uh, four a.m. tsunami spot, so nobody saw them, and they eventually released them on DVD, and I was like, oh. Oh, now you're getting some Rachel Ghoul and Lady Shiva in here. Okay, I can get behind that. I, as opposed to, you know, environmentalist Professor Pig, which was just a weird, oh, poor Very, choice. very weird choice for that character. I mean, it's a weird choice in general to do Professor Pig in a cartoon that you want, you know, children yeah. to see. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to the family friendly Joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who does many murders <laughs> many many murders the kids love them but you know what the Joker doesn't have a habit of kidnapping teenagers and remaking them into perfect dolls which saying it out loud he, is really an unfortunate thing to say talk about at this point he doesn't graft people's faces onto other people yeah that's true Except his own. Yeah, <laughs> that's a mask. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't well, the Mad fine. Hatter do that too? Uh, he does worse. Yeah, Dollmaker. And Dollmaker yeah. is the one who does, you know, weird surgeries. No, Mad Hatter... Hatter is a really odd character in that you get... There's, I mean, there are literally two Mad Hatters and... There's the one who there's Jervis Tetch, mm-hmm. who is the one with the Alice in Wonderland thing, mm-hmm. and then there's the unnamed second Mad Hatter, who was the one who was like really obsessed with hats, the one from Batman '66, and who appeared sporadically, and they originally were the the same character. But eventually they used continuity to be like, no, they're actually two different guys, and Tetch killed the other one. Wait, he's just like a guy who's like horny for hats, and that's his gimmick? That was the the second Mad Hatter, yeah. If you read um, some of the... He does a one-off in the Mike Barr, Alan Davis run on Detective, and you see the, the that version in Batman 66. He's really not all Alice in Wonderlandy. He's all about the hats. And eventually they take some of that and work it into Tetch. Uh, Gail Simone does some weird stuff with Tetch and hats in Secret Six. But that's Gail does all sorts of weird stuff with everybody in Secret Six. Yep. And 
I'm okay with that. <laughs> so you could theoretically have this second hatter and 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 just sort of move him past the Alice in Wonderland thing and just call him the haberdasher. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could definitely swing that. Where's the crime though? Like what's his crime? Just like stealing valuable hats. Like uh, what's okay. the most valuable hat though? Like Abraham Lincoln's? <laughs> you know, it's oh this was remember this was a, a, a this was a silver age save, Batman. save that for national treasure uh, three or four <laughs> this is silver age batman villain they found ways to make their themes profitable right it, regardless of who you were you could find a way it's why two-face didn't work in that period because it's like i don't know how to make duality and twins yeah. profitable so Let's just not use that villain for 20 years and we'll let Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams bring him back. Yeah. Because he's more interesting that way. <laughs> this guy just loves hats. Batman's going to break his ribs, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jervis is creepy. Like, Jervis is one of those yeah. villains where you never feel sympathy when Batman wails on him mm-hmm. because he's kidnapping people and screwing with their heads. In some really uncomfortable ways. Yeah, he bad. Yeah, he he's not a good guy. Like, again, he might also fall into that category of one of the villains that Batman does not feel any real sympathy for. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he's uh, there. Dep- again, depending on how he's written, there are some real um, t- bad. Yeah. Uh, there's lines from the Big Lebowski about the Jesus. Uh, <laughs> that, that this kind of goes in that territory, and yeah, we don't want to go there because that's creepy. This whole time, I've been trying to think about what crimes the haberdasher would commit, and the best <laughs> I could come up with is like, all right, so no, you, you know how nobody like folds the brim of their their baseball cap anymore. Like, you know, like the flat yeah. brim, like how you buy it at the store, like trying to keep it that pristine. Yeah, you keep it flat, not the... Yeah, not like what okay. I used to do and just like crush the hell out of my brim. <laughs> um, he would just go around and, you know, crease everybody's brim without their consent. But if he's horny for hats, uh, <laughs> then I don't think he would do that. I think he's horny for... I think, I think that's the problem is that he keeps stealing hats and... <laughs> It's like one of those things where you don't want to fight him because you know what he like. Like ah, you just do your thing. That's not really the hat. You know what though? If we're gonna, he's if that's if he's just going around stealing hats, so then he's just the hat burglar. Just a, horny, <laughs> a horny hatter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, you know, as long as you know, and you know, him and uh, Jervis have to divide up Gotham City like Cookie Kwan on The Simpsons. Nobody on each side. Stay away from the lid shop. <laughs> All right, this lid shop's mine. This one's yours. Yeah. Exactly. Whoa. Oh boy. Um. <laughs> any, any more Mister Freeze uh, stuff we want to bring up before we wrap it wrap it up? Uh, he's just. He just. I think he just needs a hug. Like he really just needs someone to talk to him. Yeah, or you know, one of the multiple geniuses in the DC, you could help the poor man help his dying wife. But who who am I? Like who am I? That's the 
I mean, that's the classic conundrum. Yeah. I mean, the Marvel Universe should be this scientifically with Tony Stark and Reed Richards, there should be zero point energy. No one should be using fossil fuels. The world should be a utopia, but that's not interesting storytelling. Yeah. And so, also Ben Grimm shouldn't be an orange rock monster. And yes. Cyclops should be able to control his eyes. Right. And people should have just locked up Charles Xavier long ago for being yeah. a creep. Yeah. That's not interesting. No, <laughs> oh, I, I think Mr. Freeze Mr. Freeze would be cool if they like brought him. So um, Steve Orlando did with uh, Killer Frost, where she was in the JLA run, which was awesome, where she's a hero. Do that, just let Mr. Freeze be a good guy, or honestly, just let him let him do his thing. Just give him an ice cream factory, fix his life, and <laughs> that's it. That's my the one thing. I have no real urge to write comics, but like if I ever have the opportunity, it's going to be about Mr. Freeze. Him, him, and Nora—they're happy, but they open an ice cream shop, and that's the whole bit. That's it. <laughs> it's going to be called Ice Cream for Ice Cream. Nora, <laughs> we are out of those SpongeBob pops with the bubblegum eyes. <laughs> Would you like Rocky Road? I—I—I <laughs> oh. I, I think we have to go out on that line because there's there's, there's nothing better. <laughs> nothing better can be said after that. Uh, you'll brook no argument from me. Uh, Dan, how can people keep up with all the cool stuff you got going on right now? Um, you can find me, a human being, Dan, at Dan the McMahon on the Twitter. I tweet. I write for CBR, um, and I'm going to be writing for a couple more places coming soon. Um, and then my podcast, which is about uh, making the DC universe accessible and coming soon, everything else, um, at DC Super Sons on the Twitter. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files media empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com WMQComics. Where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones and Match Club podcasts, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider Woman series, Saren, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you our best content every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our Sunday editorials. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. Thank you.